Hello and welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, your one-stop shop for expert advice on the smart way to get in. My name is Kayla and each episode I'll bring you an interview with a former admissions officer, a graduate of a top college, or an admissions expert. These interviews will take you inside the admissions office and will be full of behind-the-scenes knowledge, first-hand experiences, and application tips that will help you get into your dream school. This week, we're joined by Shoshana Feinberg, a former admissions officer from Northwestern, to talk about standardized testing. Hi, Shoshana. Thank you for joining us today. Hi, thanks for having me. Great. So today I wanted to, as everyone can see from the title, talk specifically about standardized testing. I think this is always on the top of people's minds, always a huge worry with college admissions, but especially now with everything going on, it's particularly crazy. So I wanted to kind of get an admissions officer's take on everything that's going on. Yeah, sounds great. So kind of speaking of all of the craziness, I wanted to first kind of talk to you about all of these schools going test optional, what that means for students, and kind of how it's going to impact students who are applying to college this year and potentially for years to come. Yeah, I know this is going to be a huge concern for students, and there's a lot of unknowns and uncertainty out there for the whole world at this point in time. But um, so it's a little bit hard to know 100% how things will be changing. Um, but I do think, in terms of general impact, um, admissions offices will likely receive way more applications in general, kind of overall. I think that um, it will actually probably end up flooding a lot of admissions offices, getting a lot more possibly unqualified applicants, you know, to sift through or people all of a sudden thinking they might have a chance at Harvard, you know, because they're getting rid of this requirement or, you know, as an example. But I think that um, in terms of standing out, it will probably be a bit harder for students just because of the influx of applications in general. I think there will be a bigger pool um, all across the board. Um, I also think if students, um, you know, are choosing not to submit scores that they do have on hand, admissions officers will obviously have to take more of a bit of a guess to kind of um, try to pinpoint their academic capabilities or their qualifications of getting in and having to look a lot more at transcripts or other kinds of ways to evaluate their academic abilities. So definitely be an impact from the admissions office trying to kind of piece that together with possibly more unknowns in the picture. Yeah, definitely. I think that kind of gets at a question I also wanted to ask you about, just if it's going to make admissions easier or harder. I feel like I've seen a lot of students, their parents kind of talking on the internet or in forums, trying to guess whether it's going to give them a better shot or a worse shot at getting into those difficult colleges. So um, I know you kind of answered that, but what's your take on that? Yeah, I mean, again, I think it'll be hard 100% to know either way, but I think from the standpoint of trying to stand out in this big pool, it will definitely be harder, I think, in terms of, um, again, admissions offices probably getting way more applications in general. Um, I know, for instance, when UChicago went test optional, they kind of got way more people applying in general. All of a sudden, you know, everyone thought they had a chance of getting in, even though it's a really selective school. So obviously, you know, if you're a C student, you know, who, you know, doesn't submit an SAT score, you're still not going to meet a lot of academic qualifications at, you know, top tier universities. So um, I think from the standpoint of standing out, it will definitely be harder. Um, 
I think from an admissions standpoint, they'll be, again, trying to take a guess at sort of your academic abilities and looking at other ways to evaluate a student. So whether that be, you know, more of an emphasis on letters of recommendation or selective summer programs they got into or research opportunities or other things that they are doing to kind of showcase their talents, um, those kind of things will probably be weighed much more heavily. So I think from a general standpoint, it will make it more of a question mark in a lot of people's minds. So that obviously ends up being a little unsettling, but I think that um, there will definitely be more emphasis on other pieces of the application if they only have those things to go off of. Yeah, definitely. I do think that's kind of comforting, I guess, though, that even though test scores are going away, you know, universities that still have high standards, they still have those high standards, which I guess is kind of scary, but it also shows that there's not too much that's changing. The universities have other ways of looking at you. Exactly, exactly. It's not like all of a sudden, you know, all of their standards are thrown out the window just because they don't have one test score to kind of evaluate. So definitely a good point there. Yeah, definitely. Something else I'm wondering just from kind of seeing people's questions that have been asked is whether students should still even try to take standardized tests this year. I think, you know, there's a lot of frustration and confusion about test dates being moved around and keep being canceled. And I've seen some students say, well, if these schools are test optional, should I just not even do it this year and not even keep trying? Yeah, great question. Um, my overall answer would be to definitely still try and to get that um, test score under your belt. I think um, particularly if you're an international student, I think you really need that to kind of prove your academic abilities. Um, if you're from a lesser known high school, for instance, as well, those kind of things will really help you in terms of proving your academic abilities. Um, ultimately, I always tell my students, you know, you don't want to leave admissions officers guessing. You don't want it up in the air to kind of have them make assumptions about your abilities. You want as many data points as you can have. Um, so obviously more data points means a more informed decision about, you know, your abilities, what you've done so far. Um, so for students who don't end up submitting scores, um, you know, you're, you're making, taking more of a risk, I guess, that admissions officers will be interpreting your academic ability based on the things I mentioned before, your transcript, your letters of rec, you know, other awards you may have gotten. Um, but I do think that if you have the ability to take it, you should definitely try. Um, colleges are obviously being understanding at this point in time, given the chaos and the uncertainty and the cancellations. And, um, you know, obviously there are circumstances where students won't have the ability to, to take a test. And I think a lot of admissions offices are making their policies more inclusive to kind of allow those students to still apply. They don't want to close the door just because, you know, this pandemic hit the world and, you know, students aren't necessarily able to get all the pieces they need. However, I think if you have the chance, um, it's definitely worth, you know, submitting that score. It's worth having that data point that they can make a better decision about you as an applicant. Yeah, it's definitely not an excuse, I guess, to just kind of take some months off and not study. Really, the test optional, you know, policy is there to help you if you know, the worst case happens. Exactly, exactly. I definitely say if you have the chance and ability to take it, you should definitely take it and just have it on, under your belt. Um, it, it, hopefully will only help you in terms of the process and again, removing that doubt. Yeah, definitely. So for students who are able to take the test, how are admissions officers going to look at the test? How are they going to evaluate it? Or just kind of how did admissions officers use tests to evaluate students in a normal year? Yeah, great question. So um, 
you know, standardized test scores are a great way to show admissions officers a universal understanding of your academic ability. So while they look at a transcript, which will show kind of your grades over four year span, um, they're going to have to spend a lot of time digging for context to really understand what your GPA means at your school, right? At some schools, for instance, a 3.9 might be the best GPA at the school and some schools, a 3.9 might be the worst GPA at the school. So they're gonna have to dig and kind of make sense of what your grades show them. Um, on the other hand, the uh, standardized test scores are really universal in terms of understanding. So an admissions officer can look at a 1580 and know without a doubt, that's a great score. Um, they don't really have to think much about it. It's pretty black and white in terms of how it, it portrays a student's academic ability. So in terms of using these scores to evaluate students, um, you know, every university will typically publish their median SAT score ranges, um, which are available to students and whoever looks it up online. Um, but this will kind of show among the uh, admitted students at that school where students' SAT scores fall. So um, if you see a student's kind of SAT score on their application, you'll be able to see where does it fall within that range, right? Is it among the highest test takers who have been admitted? Is it in the middle? Is it the lowest? So among um, previous year applicants, it's kind of a great way to gauge where they fall on that scale in general. Um, and that's a kind of way, again, to put them in context among all the other applicants. So it's a great way to kind of, again, put it into context and make sure they are understanding their academic abilities in comparison to the whole pool. Yeah, definitely. I think that's also a great way for students to kind of evaluate themselves when they're doing their school research. We always, I know, recommend our students to kind of look at those test scores to see if a school is a reach for them or if it might be like a safety to fall back on. So I think even if students aren't able to take the SAT, they might think this is the kind of score I think I might have been able to get. And that can kind of put them in context for what schools they should be going for. Definitely. Yeah, that's a great point. And some some schools even will publish um, GPA ranges or things like where you fall within your school context. Like, are you in the top 10% of your class or in the top 50% of your class? Um, that There's some data points there available on, on school websites as well. So you can dig a little bit to see kind of where you fall generally in terms of your competitive, competitiveness level. Yeah, definitely. So I know you've kind of mentioned this a couple times of other ways that admissions officers are now going to have to evaluate students without those test scores, you know, letters of rec, looking at your transcript. Um, so obviously some of those things students can't do much about now, like the transcript, there's not a lot you can do about your past grades and everything, but do you have any recommendations for students who, you know, they're worried about not having a test score and they want to make sure they can stand out. What should they be focusing on on their application? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, you know, in terms of who you ask for your letters of recommendation, that's still one thing you do have control over. So being strategic in terms of asking the right teachers who are going to showcase your abilities in the best way, um, thinking about teachers who will talk about different aspects of your academic ability. So, you know, we typically recommend if you have the chance to ask, you know, one STEM teacher and one humanities teacher to show some of that breadth of your academic abilities. Um, you know, similarly, we often talk about the ways you can ask teachers to talk about you. So if it's, you know, your math teacher, you might you know, write them uh, a cover letter about possible traits they can emphasize that might focus on things like your analytical skills or your, your quantitative, you know, abilities or something like that, compared to maybe in your English class, you can talk more about um, your participation or your engagement in classroom discussion or things like that. So thinking about making sure your recommenders 
um, again, show that breadth of your abilities and different angles of your academic abilities. That's a great way to kind of fill in the gaps that might be missing from something like a test score or even, you know, schools that are transferring to pass-fail grades due to coronavirus or things like that. Um, similarly, I think this summer is a great chance to stand out and trying to find meaningful activities. Um, Obviously, there are limitations in a lot of cases. I know a lot of summer programs have been canceled or other people's plans have um, been derailed. So I know admissions offices will certainly be taking all that into consideration. I know I've had many students stress about not having their original plan go through. Um, so, you know, that's something that will be taken into context. The whole world is going through this struggle at once. So that's the good thing, I guess, about this is there are changes to everyone's plans and everyone's kind of reacting accordingly. Um, but I do think that even if your program was canceled, you know, you can make meaningful use of your summer, whether that be a personal project you're working on, you know, if you put together a website that, you know, portrays some of your, your interests or work or, um, you know, you do your own research in your hometown or you find other ways to work remotely with a professor or something, right? Um, so that's a couple things. I think also your um, 12th grade course selection is still something you have control over. So making sure you take the time to select courses that show you're challenging yourself and that you're taking rigorous offerings. Um, again, even part of the fact that you are trying and that you are putting forth effort to you know, be in top classes, those kind of things will be recognized by an admissions office. Um, and then of course, if there are other kind of competitions or um, you know, programs that you can participate in and or that maybe showcase your abilities or that you can get some type of formalized recognition or, you know, take an online course to be certified in some kind of way or do something else to kind of formally kind of codify your experiences. I think those kinds of things can be a great way to um, kind of add to your resume overall and your kind of academic profile at large. Yeah, definitely. And those are, you know, things that admissions officers have liked to see this whole time. You know, it's not like like we said, not a lot of this stuff is anything new. It just might be a little bit more important if students don't have test scores, but also that was always the case for students who maybe had a bit of a weaker GPA or a weaker test score. These things were always there to kind of balance that out. Exactly, yeah. So talking more, um, going back to students that can take the test or even talking and kind of giving advice to younger students who hopefully are able to take the tests like normal in the next few years to come when everything, you know, dies down. Um, talking more broadly about standardized testing, I'm wondering about taking the SAT versus the ACT. I know certain states do things differently. I know when I was in high school in Michigan, everyone in Michigan took the ACT, now it's the SAT, so things change, but um, is there kind of, from an admission standpoint, one that's better than the other, or one that gives a student a better chance of getting in somehow? Yeah, great question. Um, obviously, both SAT and ACT are standardized tests that are accepted by all colleges and universities in the U.S., so you won't be limited, you know, if you take one or the other if you're applying to college um, in the U.S. Um, in terms of an, an admission standpoint, um, they're evaluated the same way. I think, like you said, it's pretty regional. I think that some you know, tests tend to be more popular in certain regions of the U.S. or in the world, um, but admissions officers Kind of know both scales they have those published ranges you know the middle median sat and median act ranges available so they can interpret whatever score you end up submitting i think that depending on the region that you are 
assigned to read for, you'll tend to see more of one or the other. So um, just like you, I grew up in the Midwest. So, you know, in Illinois, everyone took the ACT basically. So, um, and I read admissions for the, the, you know, surrounding area. So I was always getting ACT scores, right? So I was more familiar with that just from um, the popularity of the test where I came from and where I was reading applicants from. However, if you are, you know, in charge of reading applications for a different country or a different part of the US that SAT is more popular, um, you know, you as an admissions officer would get much more familiar with interpreting SAT results. But um, the the big answer is they're evaluated, you know, the same way. There isn't really a better or worse one to take. There might be a more popular one in your region, but ultimately it will say the same thing in terms of um, your abilities and it will be evaluated on a scale in the same way, basically. Yeah, that's really great to hear. I know after I took the ACT and then it switched to the SAT, I was like, oh, should I have taken one over the other? Yeah. Like, what was I supposed to have done? Because it is so regional that I didn't really know anything about the SATs. So yeah. hopefully that puts some people at ease. Yeah, definitely. I know some people also end up taking both. So that's an option too. I know, um, obviously it takes more studying and practice to prepare for both. So that's not always the best use of time, but I do know some students, you know, might be studying for one and not doing as well as they hope and, you know, just try taking the other one and end up doing better. Um, so that's something to consider. You can always take a practice test of the opposite one and see if it's, you know, jiving with you a little bit better. Um, they are a little bit different in terms of content and how they're scored and things like that. So, um, you know, there are maybe some differences that would work better for some people than others, but in terms of the way they're evaluated, it'd be the same. Yeah, I think taking a practice test in both, if you're concerned, could be a great option. I think I've had a student in the past who wasn't doing well on the ACT or the SAT, wasn't doing well on one, switched to the other and got like a near perfect score. So it definitely yeah. can happen. Yeah, I've seen some of that where people are kind of struggling with one and switch and, you know, that's not necessarily going to work up 100%, of course. Mm. So, um, but definitely it was something worth looking at. I know in terms of content, obviously, um, you know, the ACT has that science section. So I know some people shy away from that or are more drawn to that. Um, you know, something to note with that, it's not actually evaluating your science content knowledge, but more, you know, your ability to analyze and interpret data or read graphs or things like that. So if you find some of your skill sets matching some of those a little bit more, it might be um, to your best interest to consider the ACT. Um, but otherwise, you know, both tests obviously cover reading, um english math right they're they're covered in the in in both there's just some 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 differences there um to consider so definitely worth checking out the two options and seeing what you think might be best for you yeah for sure and speaking of tests that are kind of more specific or speaking of more specific areas of study i was also hoping we could talk about sat subject tests um obviously these aren't required at every school i think it tends to be more of the elite schools more of the competitive schools that like for students to take these in certain subjects but um, i was hoping you could give some advice about whether students need to take them which ones should they take how many kind of everything across the board yeah um so like you said they're they're not required by a lot of schools but they are often recommended quote recommended by top tier schools so um you know in some cases 
it's a hard recommendation or pretty much a requirement, you know, um, to have it, or you should at least know that most other applicants will submit them. So if you don't, it's again, more doubt possibly in your abilities. Um, I think in general to kind of cover your bases, it's safe to take two to three SAT2s if possible. Um, I think, you know, some schools will recommend one or two. Um, there are a couple that have recommended three in the past. Um, but the good thing about SAT2s is you can kind of pick and choose which ones you choose to actually send to schools. So if you took three, for instance, and you did really well on only one, you know, and a school only required one, you could just send that one in. So you're not kind of bound to sending all of the ones you've taken. Um, so that should be a little bit reassuring to kind of see what you are able to do and then make those decisions school by school in terms of what you actually choose to send. Um, in terms of the general process, um, they're a great way to kind of demonstrate, um, an, again, an additional standardized uh, test data point for admissions officers. So again, to showcase your academic ability, um, but they're a great way in particular to show subject expertise, right? So if you are, for instance, applying to an engineering program, it would be great to add an extra 800 on a math to SAT2, for instance. That kind of thing will really help kind of show your math expertise, right? Um, I always tell my students kind of in general, if you're able to score an easy 800, why not, right? Get it on your transcript and send it over to colleges. It's kind of like adding more A pluses to your you know, profile. Um, so I think in that regard, if you do feel like you can score well, having multiple you know, good scores will only help you. Um, in terms of deciding which ones to take, I think that um, I typically recommend to pair it with your current course curriculum. So for instance, if you're taking AP US history, right, and you're doing really well, consider the SAT2 and US history. Similarly, if you're in a class like AP chemistry, you know, you could consider the SAT2 chem test. Um, those are a great way to kind of pair what you're already learning in class, especially if the end of the year you're studying for your APs. Um, spring is a great time to add in your SAT2 as well. So you're kind of already in the midst of cramming for APs or final exams, it's a great time to add that in when, when the knowledge is fresh and you're already studying. Um, for general timing, I would say you can take them probably as early as you know your spring of 10th grade um, as a starting point. Sometimes I recommend students to take the math to SAT2 as one of their first ones. If they took pre-calculus in 10th grade, um, the math to SAT2 only goes through pre-calc, so you don't need calc knowledge. You don't have to have taken an AP calculus, for instance. Um, so, you know, if you feel prepared to get some of those SAT2s out of the way early, 10th grade is a great time to do that spring or summer after 10th um, to get your first set at least under your belt. Um, obviously, knowing that typically your 11th grade is much busier, much mm -hmm. more you know, hectic. There's a lot more APs, most likely. You're probably taking the regular SAT. So just a lot more on your plate in general. If you have time and the content knowledge in 10th grade, it's a great time to at least give it a try. Um, but really anytime, you know, spring of 10th through the summer after 11th is okay to take them um, and spread them out. Something to note, of course, is that SAT2s aren't offered on the exact same schedule as SAT. So you'll want to space those out. And um, you also can't take both the SAT and SAT2 on the same test day. So that's something else to keep in mind as you kind of plan out your schedule um, that you'll have to kind of space those out from each other. So um, definitely I think pairing it with your, your curriculum and your studying at your course level at school is a great way to think about that though. Um, and obviously thinking about 
the majors that you might end up going into, that's a great way to show that expertise. So again, like engineering, you know, having some of those math science ones in, under your belt, or if you're a humanities person, thinking about a history literature um, or language test for your SAT2s is a great way to kind of boost your profile there. Yeah, definitely. Especially for those more competitive majors like engineering, typically they're more competitive schools or programs yeah. in the school. So it can really help you boost your application like you were talking to talking about. And I also think it is great that the SAT twos are more flexible. I think everyone kinds of kind of thinks about the SAT or the ACT on a more rigid schedule. You know, you take it your junior year, you take it, you know, this time, but the SATs twos, like you said, you can really start to take a lot earlier or in tandem with whatever classes you're doing. Exactly. Yep, definitely. So speaking of timing, I also wanted to talk about timing for the regular SAT or ACT um, for both younger students or students who are getting ready to take the test. Obviously, again, this is a bit in flux because of everything going on right now, but um, when should students look at starting test prep? When should students think about the timing of when they will actually take the test? Um, you know, I think certain students who are really gunning for those top schools might start worrying about it really early. Um, so I'm kind of wondering, you know, whether that's a good idea and just kind of when it all should start in general. Yeah, definitely a popular question we get from students. Um, I think, you know, in terms of the typical time frame, most students begin test prep, um, I would say the summer between 10th and 11th grade. That's when they're really probably enrolled in some type of course or doing, you know, self-study, getting that book, taking the practice test to see where they're at in terms of starting point and what areas they need to focus on to study on. Um, I would say taking your first attempt in either the late summer or early fall of 11th grade is good. So, you know, that August or October um, test date is, is often a popular time, I think, to get your first attempt under your belt. Um, something I do want to point out is that we don't recommend taking SAT more than three times total. So something that you really should keep in mind is um, when you are trying to retake it, that you leave enough time between your attempts to actually improve your score, right? I think what ends up happening and that can often be the worst case scenario is you rush through it and you take you know, three in a row, three months in a row, or, you know, in a span of five months or something like that. And you kind of waste your attempts a little bit with little improvement. So, um, you know, you don't want to be able to, or be forced to submit your test scores and show, you know, a 10 or 20 point increase only, right? That's kind of a waste of your time and, you know, you're not adding much to your profile. So um, really wanting to make sure you're spacing out the time and, intentionally studying between your sessions is important. Um, but in terms of general timing, like I said, late summer or early fall um, of your 11th grade, I guess, or going into your 11th grade is a good starting point. I would say the second attempt um, can often be in like the winter months, sometime maybe December, March is popular as well. Um, and then again, your third and final attempt if needed would be probably the spring. Um, obviously, depending on how your preparation is going, you know, you might skip the March one and maybe your second attempt is not until May or something like that. Um, but I would say typically spacing those out from fall of 11th grade through the summer is a great time. Um, I would usually say the final attempt should be um, August or October if needed going into your senior year as kind of a last resort. Um, but ideally you would definitely have your SAT results so you can strategize your early decision school choice, right, where you want to apply um, by that November 1st deadline. So taking that 
October test is cutting it close. You're kind of making guesses on where to apply and where to strategize your school choice without a firm score on hand. So if you have time, if you're young enough to plan, please do plan, right? It's always good to get those scores under your belt. Um, by the summer or end of 11th grade is great. You kind of know what you have and what you're working on and you can take those and not add test prep to your college application prep, right? Because that's when students often get um, more overwhelmed as well. So definitely I think, again, the three times max, spacing them out, probably first try in the beginning of 11th. Um, for those those uh, eager types, like you mentioned, the ones gunning for those schools, I wouldn't recommend taking it earlier than this, you know, end of the summer after 10th. Um, you likely will learn a lot more as you go through high school. So like beginning of 10th grade, I think is too early to be taking those. Um, once you're in a little bit more rigorous course curriculum and you've prepared, right? There's really no reason to rush earlier than that. And again, you don't wanna waste your times taking it super early and um, not being able to take, take them enough times to kind of uh, make it worthwhile. So that's what I would say kind of overall with the timing. Yeah, definitely. I think it's definitely kind of an in-between. You don't want to do it too early or you're kind of wasting your time and energy. But if you do it too late, you might be rushed for having to do retakes and then it's really not going to benefit you or your application at all. Exactly. Yeah. Great point. So um, before I let you go, do you have any kind of last tips for students? Any last, I guess, kind of words of wisdom as everyone kind of goes through the stressful changes of test optional policies and everything like that? Yeah, I mean, I think something, like we said before, reassuring is to know that everyone's going through this, right? It's definitely an unprecedented time worldwide, truly. Everyone's kind of adjusting plans and figuring things out as they go. And, um, you know, for better or worse, admissions offices will be doing the same, right? They're going to be right there with you deciding how to evaluate things. And, um, you know, even college campuses right now are making those decisions about having classes, you know, stay virtual in the fall or not, or having different kind of policies going on to, um, reflect the times and to keep everyone safe and everything. So it really is a time I think that um, everyone is kind of figuring things out. Um, I think that in terms of your test optional policies, um, obviously taking the test if you have the chance is a great thing to do. And, you know, if you're stressed and don't have the opportunity to take them, I think capitalizing on the things you have control over, like your summer plans and um, your course selection for next year and your teacher recommendations and your actual application work is a great thing to to focus your attention on. Um, so, you know, try not to stress too much about the things that are outside of your control and try to take um, ownership of those things that you, you know, can control and really put the time and energy into making those things the best that you can. Um, and then you'll at least live with no regrets and, you know, kind of can move forward in that process and um, hopefully not stress yourself out more given the situation. So just focus on what you can and you'll do great. Yeah, definitely. I think I really like what you said. You can't change certain things. And yeah. I think it's especially good to note that admissions officers are humans, too, and they're also quarantining right now and going through hard times. And they didn't predict this either. So it's not like they're this all-knowing body who you know has everything perfectly figured out either. Yeah, great point. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on today. This was all very insightful. I found it really helpful. I hope everyone else finds it really helpful too. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. 
Well, like I said, I hope everyone found this episode helpful, uh, especially in this crazy time when schools are continually announcing their policy changes for standardized testing. Uh, Since I talked to Soshana, there's actually been some more news about MIT and the UC schools. So I'm going to link a blog below that is a full list of test optional schools so you can keep up to date. It's going to continually update as news comes out. Uh, As always, you can also ask us any questions or get more information on our social media at Ingenious Prep Everywhere. Uh, That's all for now, and I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office. Mm